This is the I Read Comic Books Podcast. I am your host, Mike Rappin, and with me this week are two fantastic human beings, Kara Shamborski. Hello. And Kate Lamphere. Hi. <laughs> Thank you both for joining me this week. I'm very excited because we're talking about our Goodreads Book of the Month as voted on by our Goodreads Book of the Month folks and everyone who's out in our Goodreads group. But before we get into that, I got to ask the question I ask every single week. How have you been? And how have comic books been? Let's start with you, Kara. Okay, so unpopular opinion, but I am totally fine with the whole staying at home thing. Like, <laughs> just I'm really okay with not interacting with humans. Like, to, to be fair, I, sh- I should clarify that um, I'm lucky enough to have parents who have a house who invited me to come and live with them for this. But mm-hmm. that that said, um, it's really nice, like, just being here. I don't know. Like, I know everyone's like a lot. Everyone's talking about how they're just going crazy and they want to get out of the house and they want to go do stuff. And I'm like, why? Like, I get it. Like, I love travel and I love like going places with my friends. But at at my core, like, I'm a little hobbit. Like, I just want to hang out in my hole in the ground with my mm-hmm. books and my tea kettle. Like. I'm fine. I like <laughs> So the new the new rule of the land is that, you know, you can go out four times a year, but otherwise you have to stay home. Is that the, <laughs> the thing you're saying? Like I wanna go out just for like four four times, like for a week at a time, and then after that I I'm staying home. That's it. And that should be okay by everybody. I don't know. It's like I'm 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 fine. I'm like I don't know. Like the the over the overall stress of everything and avoiding the the virus and trying to like stay healthy and all that like that that's ooh, i've had better mental health days let me tell you but yeah the yeah. like staying at home part of it that part specifically doesn't really bother me and yeah. it bothers so many people and i'm just like oh am i like way more of it like i know i'm an introvert but i am i like a super introvert <laughs> like yeah. this is all okay I mean, it's it's fortunate that, you know, we we're in positions where we can do that. You know, I mean, if we, you know, were folks that had to go work out and in, in, in these essential jobs, I mean, that's a whole other thing. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, I, 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 you know, I can relate to that to a certain extent. So so last week was so I, I work at a school and we were doing distance learning. But last week was our spring break, which we still kept. And mm-hmm. um, I turned my spring break into the excuse that I was waiting for to marathon Sailor Moon Crystal, which oh. is, um, and this is actually comic related because uh, listeners of the show will recall that I super love the Sailor Moon manga from <laughs> the 90s. And yeah. uh, so Sailor Moon Crystal is the new Sailor Moon anime that uh, they started producing like, I don't know, 2015, I think. Um, And they made this version of the anime like hyper accurate to the manga. So the anime that the Sailor Moon anime from the 90s that if you saw it on Cartoon Network at 6 a.m. or like were torrenting it later, like that anime was like loosely based off the manga but they actually were making the anime like ahead of the manga so they made up a bunch of stuff and like the characters were slightly different in the anime that they were in the manga and like the manga was like created by a woman for a female audience and the anime was created by a bunch of dudes interpreting that so there was a lot more like here's a slow pan of this character's legs and things like that so i was very interested to see this new interpretation of Sailor Moon as an anime that is like, it's so close to the manga that like the dialogue is essentially the same. They take like shot, like panels from the manga and like turn it into a shot. Like it is the most like closely hewn to the source material uh, film version of a comic I think I've ever seen. That's awesome. Uh, yeah, it, it is pretty cool. They did, I will say, they did add a few things, but it was like, they didn't make stuff up. They were, like, adding things that the artist Naoko Takeuchi, like, alluded to mm-hmm. in the original manga. So, like, for example, there's, like, it was, like, a piece of art that she did 
that in the manga version that I have, which is the US version, they use it as like a chapter entry page. And I think in Japan, it was like released as part of an art book. And it's like the sail, the inner like sailor senshi. So like uh, Jupiter, Venus, Mars, Mercury, uh, like cuddling up with these like, like the evil generals from the first story arc. And you're mm-hmm. like, you're like, what? There is a shipping opportunity here. And they never really <laughs> speak about it in the manga. Uh-huh. But you're kind of like, okay, but, but they're, bo- but they're all reincarnated. And we find out that like, the generals actually weren't always evil, so maybe they all used to date. Why don't I know more about this? So in the show, they actually like take a few minutes to be like, "Yup, they were they were all hanging out, and there's some there's some stuff going on." And it, they don't get like so into it where they're like making stuff up, but you're just like, "You saw that piece of art too. You also interpreted that as there was something going on, and now uh-huh. you have verified this for me. Thank you so much." <laughs> So, like, little things like that where it's, like, even if it's not, like, the exact manga recreated, it's, like, you saw where they got there from material in the manga. Or, like, there would Mm -hmm. be, like, a panel in the manga that vaguely alludes to something that's never mentioned again, but in the show, they actually, like, let it play out for a couple minutes. So, anyway. It it was very cool, Mike. (laughs) I'm glad I watched it. That was a good vacation. Have you been reading any comics? I am making the questionable decision to reread The Wicked and the Divine because I never read the final arc of it because at that point I was like trade waiting and like waiting for the library to get it. Um, And then the pandemic. So, um, but I realized that the final trade is now on um, Hoopla. So, and I have like the first... I think two trades in like physical form. So I'm going to uh, reread the wicked and the divine. Cause I- I'm a person where if there's like the last, the last chapter of something or the last volume of something is coming out or like the last um, season for television, I want to like reread and rewatch everything. So everything is fresh in my mind so I can see how all the threads come together. Mm-hmm. So I'm doing that with um, the wicked and the divine and um, I I did check with Tia before I did this because I was oh, okay. like I was like Tia, is this a really bad choice that I'm making? Like, am I gonna feel a lot of feelings that I maybe don't want to feel right now? And she was like, Well, yes. <laughs> so it's up to you. And I was like, You know what? I do want to feel feelings right now. Make me feel, Kieran Killen. Gotcha. So, yeah. So that's where I'm at. Okay. 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 What about you? What have you been? reading what have you been digging how you've been feeling all that stuff we're, we're in strange times <laughs> yeah i've been good i've been reading a whole bot a whole bunch of comics off of hoopla instead of reading the comics from the library that i have in physical form or any of the ones that i own as usual nothing has really changed in that way <laughs> mm-hmm. um and i read two things off of hoopla's bonus borrows which means that i don't have to use any of my credits and one of them is uh, Vox Machina Origins. Um, this is from the Critical Role folks. So the writers are Matthew Colville and Matthew Mer- Mercer. And the artist is Olivia Sampson with colors by Chris Northrup. And I haven't listened to Critical Role, but I've heard that the story makes it worth listening to. Um, and I feel like instead of listening to, like I guess, four-hour episodes, like numerous four-hour episodes... <laughs> Yeah, um, I think that the comic book form is probably the way that I'm going to go because it looks like there's going to be another volume at least. Yeah, and I I really did enjoy enjoy this, even though it's like clearly a D and D campaign rewritten as a comic book. Like it it worked for me. Like there there are parts in it where you can tell that like someone rolled a one or <laughs> yeah um, the the. The DM might have been like, oh, no, my guys are about to die, so I have to make something totally crazy happen so that they all survive. And, you know, they just throw that in there. And but but, it, you know, you have like the the punchy barbarian, the peaceful druid, the sneaky grogues and the charismatic bard that kind of seems like the party leader. He kind of like drives all of the action a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, and. My only my only complaint really is that there were clearly some fights or encounters cut out for the sake of like a comic book page count. Oh sure, but um, I I don't know I enjoyed it all the same. It was it was really daring do and 
mystery solving and all of all of the good stuff about D and D all compacted into mm-hmm. a volume. So wait, how could you tell if a fight scene was cut short? Like you just um, got a vibe. Like, like there, there was one point where the party got split, or before the party really came together. Like Volume One Origins is about how they came together, and you walk in on two of the characters having just slain a monster, and like they're clearly finishing a conversation, but there really wasn't a transition into that. Like it, it just like you turn the page and boom, there's a dead monster. <laughs> oh, okay. Um. Or like they were walking from one side of town to the other side of town and they the next panel makes reference to an encounter that they just had, but we didn't see. So like it's clearly like parts of a, of a larger story that were mm-hmm. included. So I have no idea how long this this volume took in, in terms of how many like D&D sessions happened, um, but it must have been a whole lot of them. <laughs> I see. Um, and I mean, I guess, I guess I'm assuming that this is actually the story that they told that they tell in the in the actual Critical Role podcast slash show. Um, but it definitely seemed like it was an actual campaign, just because of the way that the story moved along and random things happened. That's kind of cool, though. I mean, because I, yeah. I I know that like other D and D comics and stuff like that, they kind of craft the story in with some idea like high level D D mechanics or thoughts and, and stuff and then they craft it more narratively so that it flows better but to hear that like the the I don't, clunkiness i don't know how else to describe it of a yeah. D campaign being transferred over into the story that's actually pretty refreshing yeah and i didn't think that it would work i mean like if you had described this to me i'd be like i feel like that's that would bother me a lot but stepping into it knowing that that's what it was it worked for me but i also really like D and i play D so. right right i get it like yeah, <laughs> i understand yeah. how these things happened <laughs> um and then i also read snow glass apples by neil gaiman and the artist was julie dillon this is a, re- a really dark retelling of the snow white tale from the stepmother's point of view oh and boy. <laughs> yeah and and snow white is actually some kind of like vampire like she's like this kind of charismatic uh being that feeds on the life force of other creatures <laughs> And the stepmother, at least from her own point of view, is a pretty compassionate queen. She's not like the the evil, uh, takes advantage of everybody stepmother that we know from the traditional uh, movie, Disney movie at least. Mm-hmm. Um, um, but she does kind of go a little bit nuts trying to figure out how to solve this Snow White problem because she was like, this person is a child. Like, I don't want to kill a child, but also this person is, you know, essentially killing a whole bunch of like this this segment of my my kingdom and it's starting to affect like the economic status of you know everything the whole kingdom kate i gotta tell you i was thinking about this book last night um because i was like all right all right tomorrow we're talking about fables and we're talking about snow white and then i was like that neil gaiman version though where like the prince is a necrophiliac yeah (laughs) oh i forgot about that part oh yeah that was super weird yeah. Uh, anyway, so like, uh, I I really wanted to talk about the art. I, oh my gosh, I don't even know how to describe this art. It's so unique. It's it, it's reminiscent of stained glass, and then it doesn't avoid being dark and ominous. So like, it's just it's super enchanting. It's completely unique. It 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 wouldn't be out of place if you were to like walk into like ruins that no one know knows who made this building and you look up and there's this snow this literal stained glass of fairy tale characters like it's just like page after page of this ominous stained glass look and I yeah I, I just looked this up uh and i <laughs> i just need to issue a little correction that artist on this is colleen doran not oh. julie dylan i don't i don't know uh, maybe maybe you have a different edition or i'm looking at the wrong book but um yeah i i think we're talking about the same book here and i i see it it looks like the like illuminate like illuminated like volumes of medieval texts you know like if is this the same book that we're talking about here kate yeah. um that does sound really familiar but it's wrong in goodreads so oh, okay well this is all goodreads fault i was looking <laughs> yeah. at a, another website or i was looking at amazon so i i just wanted to I issue think it was a more accurate website. <laughs> yeah yeah um 
but yeah no this this looks super beautiful like that like i totally see what you mean by stained glass window like the very intricate but like like very organized layouts of the of the pages um looks gorgeous holy cow i i'm surprised i never seen this book before this this is fantastic yeah um and then the things that i've been into lately i mean it kind of it's kind of the same thing. Like I've, I'm talking about all these weird ways that people are telling their stories right now, and that's that's kind of what I'm what I'm into. Like there's this pattern in storytelling that's just kind of like, why not? Like why don't I try this weird thing? Like the D and D game or this crazy different um, dark interpretation of Snow White. I've also been watching Outlander in season four. Like it's it's a uh, I mean, a lot of people have heard of Outlander, but there's time travel involved. And in the first couple of seasons, it's like nobody knows how how it works. And you don't know if it's going to work again to travel back to to the main character's original time or anything like that. It's this very secretive, mysterious power. And then by season four, there's all sorts of people time traveling. And it's just like off the wall. like <laughs> Because why not? Once you've introduced yeah. time travel once, you know, like yeah. everybody can do it. <laughs> Um, and then I've been listening um, to a, a podcast called Camp Monsters that's put out by REI, The Store, and it takes okay. folklore folklore stories. Um, a lot, most of them are about in the U.S. So like this this guy is pulling out these stories that I've never heard of that take place in Maryland, but like people from Maryland have heard of the folklore. It's it's cool, but they rewrite the context of the story to make them about like rock climbing or backpacking or scuba diving or like some outdoorsy thing. And it's just like these, these creators or these retellers are like do we, making all these unexpected decisions that you didn't, you wouldn't think would work because they're so off the wall, mm-hmm. but it totally works for me and it's popular stuff. So it works for a lot of other people too. That's cool. I, this I I thought you were going to say that this was this uh, podcast that um, our buddy Cinco on the Discord was telling us about called the Old Gods of Appalachia, which is like this. It's a fictional podcast about these made up myths about the the mountains of the you know Appalachian area, um, which is it's very creepy but super well produced. Um, but I, I think Kate, you might you might dig that if you're up if up the alley of weird folklore tor- stories. But again, this is like a yeah. you know, like a Limetown or or a Welcome to Night Vale where it's like very very well produced. Yeah, I definitely want to check that out too. That's on my very long list of podcasts that I need to read. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Mike, how about you? How what's your deal been? Oh, you know, I've I've been all over the place. Uh, mostly because my whole life is revolving around Animal Crossing. Like I have to <laughs> play it twice a day so I can get my turnip prices set um, and figure out what the potential spike's going to be in selling turnips and this, playing the stock market, as they call it. Um, but I, I have been reading some comics. The big thing that I actually want to talk about is I read all of Lock and Key this week, um, it, with the exception of the two one-shots that came out after the series ended. Um, but I did read everything that was available in like all the trades and all this stuff. Because a while back, I think when the Lock and Key TV show came out, I bought all of the issues on Comixology at like super discount. So I was like, you know, the other day I, I sat down and I was like, huh, I did buy all of that. Maybe I should read it. And I got two and a half volumes in one night, and then it was like one thirty in the morning. I was like, okay, I got to stop reading, but this is very good. I'm going to finish this. And um, finish it I did. I started reading yesterday at like midnight, thinking, oh, yeah, I'll just read a volume. And then next thing yeah. I knew, this was last night before we were, you know, yesterday, I guess, um, <laughs> I decided to read all of it, the, f- the rest of it, which is like four and a half volumes worth of story. And so I was up till almost quarter to four in the morning reading it. And man, it is good. The reason why I couldn't stop is because I don't know how you could. Like, I, I think I'd be pulling my hair out waiting for the issues to come out month to month when this book was coming out. But that being said, from beginning to end, I, I felt like this very beautiful consistency of character writing and story development um with the exception of a couple of like leaps that they made at the end to kind of wrap everything up like on the whole this book was amazingly done i think um rodriguez's art is fantastic from from beginning to end and you can see him getting better as an artist as the series goes on um the the broken up story into multiple mini series um i think maybe annoys collectors to a certain extent but as a as a reader i think it's crucial for them to do that like each if you look at each volume as like a novel um in a series 
Um, there's no other way they could have done it because the story isn't continuous. The story is segmented. And so allowing the, the, the comics to be segmented as well to say, okay, these first six issues take place at this time period. Um, and then, you know, two months are going to pass and the next, this next six issues, you know, is going to come out and they're going to reference that time has passed and you're going to see that the school year that they're going to school in is, is passing. And maybe I'm getting ahead of myself here. For those of you that don't know what lock and key is, um, it's probably one of the most popular independent series that uh have come out and has come out in the last like 20 years i mean we're going to talk about one another one of those today but um this this family a, a terrible thing happens and they have to move across the country from the west coast to the east coast to an old family home and inside that house, there are these magical keys that allow you to do things like turn yourself into a ghost or go back in time or um, do all sorts of other things. And I don't want to spoil anything because that, even that is almost revealing of the story. But through tragedy and the continuous tragedy that befalls this family, um, a very beautiful story is crafted about the importance of family and the importance of understanding your trauma and learning to live with it rather than trying to run from it. Um, and I, I really appreciated the whole story. I mean, by the end of it, I was very wrapped up in the story of, of the Locke family. Uh, and I, I was very, very overwhelmed in the end because just I get I get pulled into stories about people talking to 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 just in general. I, I, again, I'm spoiling things. I don't want to spoil it. But um, yeah, I'm really glad that I decided to fall down this rabbit hole because um, it was a pleasure to watch Tyler Kinsey and Bode, the main, or Bodie, the main characters, struggle and grow up and kind of learn to deal with this trauma, like I said. Um, I mean, their mom is also a, a pivotal character. She's deal- She deals with alcoholism and, and other things. I mean, she, she also lost a husband. I mean, that's kind of the, the beginning of the story. They're the dad of the family, he dies. And so everyone is dealing with the loss of their father. And um, as well as this newfound world that they've, they put themselves in by moving across the country. And yeah, by the end, it was, uh, yeah, it was a lot of uh, really interesting stories that, that, ex- that I think Joe Hill um, <laughs> tried, he tried to do a lot of experimental things. Um, I think Rodriguez really did some in- in- interesting work with his art. But I think that the, the combination of these two, they took a lot of risks in this book. I think many of those risks paid off. I think trying to do a Lovecraftian story in a semi-modern day actually worked well because spoilers, there is some Lovecraftian scariness in this book, but um, I think that some of the other risks that they took didn't really pay off, and I'm looking at sorry, spoilers, there is a race-changing mirror that they use at some point. I don't know why that's necessary to be in this story, but they did it. Um, And there's, I don't know, the they use the R word a lot. I'm not going to go into what that is, but you know. And um, yeah, but I think the the book, though, on the whole, while it has some dated bits and some things that probably wouldn't fly in like 2019, 2020, um, I think on the whole, it's a very good read. If you if you can look past those like minor um, issues, I think on the whole, it's, it's pretty good. Um, and it's not really a book that I think you can sit down and read in one go. Don't do what I did. But it is a book that you probably want to read in quick succession because the story is very, very compelling, especially the last two volumes. Um, I don't know how you couldn't read those back to back. But uh, yeah, I really, really liked it. I thought it was um, probably one of the one of the cooler books that I've read in a while. And this is a book that's been out for a really long time. I don't know what took me so long to, to read it. I know that at one point I had read like five volumes of it and then stopped, and I don't know why. <laughs> so um, I'm glad that I picked them all up again and um, and finished it off because, boy, it was it was very rewarding at the end. How many volumes are there? There's seven volumes total. I like how you're like, I don't know what possibly could have gotten in the way of me reading this. And I'm like, I don't know, Mike, maybe the 20 X-Men titles a month you were reading for a while Listen, there. Kara. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's that's the, I mean, I, again, silver lining to this awful dark cloud in the sky above all of us. I mean, not having comics come out every week means that I think a lot of people are digging into their backlogs and reading books that they've been putting off. Like Lock and Key is a book that I've been putting off for years. And I'm glad that I actually sat down to read it because I was, like I said, I was very emotionally invested in it by the end. And I, I really enjoyed the way that Joe Hill and Gabriel Rodriguez were able to wrap things up without it feeling forced. It was a very natural, beautiful conclusion to the story. But um, 
Anyways, I beyond that, I the only other thing, like I said, I've been I've been really into Animal Crossing. I mean, like literally twenty minutes before we started recording, I was on the IRCB Discord chatting with one of the guys on there. Shout out to Jeff, you're the man who, who lives on the West Coast. And I was trying to buy turnips, <laughs> and I had missed the cutoff time to buy turnips on my island. He's like, "Hey, I'm in California or somewhere. I don't know on the West <laughs> Coast. You can come to my island and still buy them." So shout out to Jeff for helping me spend you know almost three hundred thousand bells in my game. Uh, <laughs> The other thing is, I, I haven't played it yet, but Super Mario Maker 2 just dropped. They dropped this, or it dropped a huge update, which allows you to create your own custom worlds, and they added a whole bunch of extra features to the game um, that really make this one of the most powerful game-building customizer games out there. Not that there are many like this, but um, the fact that Nintendo is like, hey, we don't want to make 2D Mario games anymore. How about you people in the world just create 2D Mario games for each other and, and have fun with it? So um, I really love that, that game. It's been really fun. And so I need to actually dig into this new update with all the new powers and stuff. So I'm very excited to maybe like take a whole Saturday and just shut myself off from the rest of the world and just play Super Mario Maker all day and create some levels. So that's that's what's been up with me. <laughs> But yeah, I guess um, we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to talk about our Goodreads Book of the Month, Fables Volume 1, so get hyped for that. We're talking all about myths and lore today, so get ready. For our show this week, we are talking about our Goodreads Book of the Month as voted on by the wonderful people over at our Goodreads group. This month, we are talking about Fables, Volume 1, Legends in Exile. This is written by Bill Willingham with art by Lan Medina, and I'm pretty sure there are other credits to that, but I didn't pull them out of the actual volume, so we're sorry to all you wonderful colorists and inkers out there, editors and assistants. Your names just haven't been listed on the internet, so that's my bad. But anyways, we are talking about this book, so just a warning, full spoilers for Fables Volume 1. And if you haven't read it, stop what you're doing, go read the volume, and then come back and press play. But for now, we're going to talk about this thing. Kara, you're our resident Fables expert. I mean, you're our resident Disney expert, Archie expert. (laughs) What else that isn't happy-go-lucky are you an expert on? I mean, come on. But, well, I guess maybe, maybe some of that other stuff maybe fables isn't that happy-go-lucky but still it's fairy tales i don't really think i'd call fables happy-go-lucky in any no 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 that's (laughs) all right it's about fairy tales right it's gotta be plucky um okay tell us about this volume okay so a couple years ago i read basically all of fables and when i say all of fables i mean like the tie-in series the offshoot original graphic novels they had like some prose novels for this they had like a video game like there is a lot to fables like we're looking at some really humble beginnings here with this first volume because this Mm -hmm. is a hugely sprawling uh story and like let's be real this was paying the bills at vertigo for ever so yeah yeah like vertigo losing fables was a big deal when um bill willingham was finally wrapping it up um yeah i mean it ran for 13 years from 2002 to 2015 like yeah that's a crazy run in in any comic sphere right like i can only name a handful of other books that are written by one one writer for that long like on one or two hands so so fables I think Fables succeeded for so long because it's actually a pretty simple premise that you can do a lot with. Like the premise of Fables that we're introduced to in volume one is that all these fairy tale characters that we know um, had to escape from their realms and they are now like living in exile in New York City and they're hiding from us normal people, the Mundanes or the Mundies. And uh, we're kind of seeing in this first volume that tension between, like, who they, like, used to, like, like, what their roles used to be and what their roles currently are. We're starting to see some characters that we might recognize and some that we might not know a whole lot about yet. And this is, like, as someone who read so much of this, um, mm-hmm. I gotta say one thing that Fables did really well is... Uh, reinterpret some of these characters or introduce you to like new um fairy tale characters and kind of like going back to what you were saying about happy go lucky um there's a like the, i think 
the characters in Fables adhere more closely to maybe the original folk tale inspired fairy tales that have, were like codified in the Brothers Grimm stories or the Charles Perrault stories and um, kind of like more darker than we're used to from the lighthearted Disney interpretations. Like I think mm-hmm. when a lot of people think fairy tales now, um, growing up in the in the 20th century or the 21st century, you do tend to think, oh, the Disney versions. And the Disney versions really did go out of their way to be kid-friendly, family-friendly, glossed over a lot of really violent stuff in the um, in the older versions of the tales that they were drawing from. So uh, I want to... Uh, I think a good example of this is the character of Snow White in Fables. We're introduced to her pretty early on. She's like... She's basically running the show. And if your exposure to Snow White prior to this was Disney's version of Snow White, you're like... What? What? The well, princess... according to Neil Gaiman, she's a she's a vampire, right? <laughs> <laughs> it's like, but if you're but if your exposure to her is like the Disney version, you're like, ah, oh, the girl with the annoying voice who was like, like the Disney prototype of all their princesses, like that girl's in charge of like running this community, and I'm like, oh, friend, you clearly have not read the original Grimm version. <laughs> so, um, a few years ago, I actually took. Um, an online course about uh, fairy tales and their origins and how, because they are based on folk tales, there are maybe multiple uh, versions that like over time became a little more codified, but there, there are like, there, there are different interpretations of kind of the same story. And this was like kind of a mind blowing experience for me learning about the character Snow White, because my experience up till that point had been the Disney version where she is like, a little, a little fluffy, but in the original like German folk tales, um, she's basically like some anywhere between like nine and twelve years old. And you have to remember, like this is this is set like hundreds of years ago. So you're so all right, right there. You have to think like okay, in terms of you know education or life skills, um, a little girl hundreds of years ago, even if she was royalty, like. Maybe she knows how to read, probably doesn't know a lot of math, maybe mm-hmm. minimal geography, a lot of sewing, and like <laughs> not not really big on like the the life skills thing, probably pretty sheltered, never really like travel. And uh, so when in the story, Snow White's stepmother decides, time for you to die. And then Snow White's reaction is to run away and essentially barter for her safety like essentially what she does is is this little girl with like very little knowledge very little life skills but she goes into the woods she finds these dwarves that are living there and is basically like hey i'd like to exchange um my manual labor in your home for your protection so that version of snow white is kind of like the like the snow white that i see in this fables especially like in in volume one we're introduced to snow white and she's like we already get the sense that she is like in charge she's super tough she doesn't take crap from anybody she's like apologizing for crying which i have problems with but like she's like that is the snow white that i think um bill willingham drew from is that more like folk tale snow white the grim version of snow white where Right. It's basically this little girl who is in a really scary situation and figures out a way to like manage it. And I'm like, oh, this is the Snow White in Fables. Cool. Got it. <laughs> yeah. And I, I think throughout the whole volume, we see kind of the more folklore versions of any of these characters, right? I think Willingham was probably trying to shy away from as much Disney stuff as possible um, because. The, the happy-go-lucky versions of these characters aren't nearly as compelling as their grim, like, fairy tales version or counterparts, you know? Um, and I think we get that with with, with pretty much everybody. I, I especially like the Beauty and the Beast bit. <laughs> like, I I know that it's, like, it's kind of shitty. It's, like, a weird, shitty thing where, like, this woman, uh, Beauty, is mad at Beast. And because of that, he starts to revert more and more back to his Beast form. Like, 
I don't know why that 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 really tickled me for some reason as I read it. Um, and I don't like that to me doesn't really track with the Disney version, but I don't know what the grim fairy tale version is. So I just assume it's probably something like that, right? <laughs> like the the love of the beauty is what made Beast back into a regular hot looking dude, right? Well, I, I mean, we never knew if he was hot to begin with. This is all subjective, Mike. <laughs> true, true. He's just not not an animal anymore. Yeah, yeah. Um, um, well, yeah, so this, this volume kind of follows, you know, a mystery. You know, Snow White's sister, Red, has gone missing. And a red rose, excuse me. And she's gone missing, and presumably she's been murdered. And it's quite actually terrifying to see the apartment where she was murdered. Um, Allegedly. And... Yeah, allegedly murdered. And so the person who's on the case is the sheriff of all of the fables, Bigby Wolf, a.k.a. the Big Bad Wolf. And to this minute, that tickles me <laughs> to hear this person's name is Bigby Wolf and he's the Big Bad Wolf. <laughs> I don't know why. It's pretty I terrific. Think that's so funny. It's so funny to me. He's like this um, gnarly. He's basically like Harvey Bullock, but a wolf. Like if you're yeah. familiar with the bat, the Batman character, just like the grossest detective you can possibly imagine, except he can also turn into a wolf, and that's Big B. Yeah, <laughs> yeah and I I like that that Willingham really shied away from trying to push i mean like there there is magic in the, the various fable things like you know as they're walking through the fables underground compound or whatever in new york we see like f- monkeys with flying wings and stuff like that and we see all these magical things we run into characters that have rooms that are bigger than others and they talk about magic but we don't actually see these characters as the fairy tale versions of themselves they are people that happen to be these fairy tales until very specific moments in the story when you know bigby wolf snaps and has to go save um jack 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 to, and he you know turns into a wolf in in the moment to try to jump against um bluebeard which i don't i don't know who bluebeard was i i feel like there's a story that i should know is that from like a hundred thousand and one arabian nights or Blue, something i don't know bluebeard um is a pirate and his mo was marrying women with lots of money and then viciously murdering them on their wedding night so okay which they they kind of allude to in in this but yeah yeah, like that's very much like directly pulled from uh a a fairy tale if you want to call it that (laughs) is like a a tale of of gruesome murder and violence against women is probably a more accurate title but right Um, (laughs) i do like how they combine the lesser known fairy tales with the better known fairy tales um and for the most part, that works for me, like including Jack and, and Bluebeard and such. But the one that I always got stuck on was Flycatcher. I never I never oh, liked yeah. him. And I've read the first few volumes. I, I don't know who that character is. I, 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 I yeah. figure he's supposed... Um, I think they explain it later, but like rereading this volume, not having read them in a while, I was like, is he the Frog Prince? That oh, that makes sense. Yeah. That makes sense. See, yeah, half he, of this discussion is just going to be us dissecting <laughs> who are these characters. Well, you know, <laughs> he's just super awkward, and I don't really find him. I, I I guess he's kind of endearing, like he's just a sweet boy, but he's not a sweet enough boy for me to like be like, oh, the baby. Well, and him then and, him and Boy Blue just are just like a, the the dummies that like yeah <laughs> that have to recreate like, the to crime scene. Me. Yeah, yeah. They're just like recreating this crime. So, so what I forgot about this this volume again, having not revisited it in a while, is that it is kind of this self contained story that is very self aware as to what it is. Like Big mm-hmm. B Wolf towards the end is very clear about his utter delight in getting his parlor scene moment where he can yeah. reveal to everybody how he solved yeah. the mystery and who is the killer, and it's it's just. Like, I love Agatha Christie mysteries, so for me, I'm just kind of like, all right, you big ham, let's get this over with. <laughs> so, but So have you been watching Miss Marple during this time in quarantine? Because there's a whole bunch of that on Hulu, I guess. <laughs> I have the I have the actual books, Mike. <laughs> the actual oh, I see. Novels. Oh, see. No. Um, <laughs> so, so I thought that for this, this volume one, that was actually very um, clever storytelling device because the first volume is this bloody murder mystery so you're drawn in because of the mystery and then kind of on the way you're learning more about uh, the world that we're in and some of the world building aspects and how these characters ended up in new york city and basically everything from here is like let's continue to grow this so it was very Mm -hmm. interesting to see like all these seeds planted 
um early, like this early on and to like there were some characters that were included in this first volume that I didn't realize were introduced this early um for example when we first meet um bluebeard the per- perhaps murderous pirate um he is fencing with Cinderella and right. Cinderella is only there for like that scene but then you find out later that she's like their secret agent who like does what? missions around the world oh yeah like there's multiple Cinderella like offshoot stories and like graphic novels where you're just seeing the really cool spy shit she gets up to she's basically like oh that's so cool she's basically james bond it's awesome (laughs) (laughs) that's really cool so i enjoyed seeing um, her here like yes that was one of our goodreads comics is uh a new rig sorry if i butchered your name um they said that the next issues or the next volume switch between like action adventure family drama fantasy period fantasy heist horror love stories spy stories war stories etc and so like the level of variety across the whole series is which keep is what keeps it fresh and that makes me um more inclined to read more of this because i had originally dropped off after volume three and i think it might be because of like the genre switching it might have kind of thrown me off a little bit but now that i know that maybe that will help me continue I gotta say, this first volume is way rougher around the edges than I remember. Like rereading it, I was kind of really? I was I was kind of struck by how um, gross a lot of it is. Like there were mm-hmm. multiple uses of the word "slut" to refer to women, like yeah, so casually. And I'm like, ooh, we've moved past that as a society. I thought, I guess not, but mm, I hate it. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, this is a book that's almost 20 years old. I mean, that's not necessarily an excuse, but like, just like I was reading Lock and Key, like they they say our word quite a bit, and I'm not into that like at all. There's some rough stuff. Um, And then something else that like kind of struck me, and I guess this is just because I spent a lot of time in New York City, but, you know, Rose Red's (laughs) apartment is in Greenwich Village. Yeah. And it's, like, the size of a restaurant. Like, her living room is a total, like, a full dance floor. And I'm like, we've established in this book already that none of y'all have money except, like, maybe King Cole, the mayor, and yeah. maybe, like, Bluebeard, who, like, maybe got it through murdering his former wives. Like, who knows? Yeah. Um. So, like, we've established that nobody has any money, yet Rose Red can afford an enormous apartment in one of the most expensive neighborhoods in Manhattan. Listen, it's still kind of a fantasy, Kara, okay? <laughs> <laughs> but then it's like they show the like the the apartment is the murder scene and like if even if you ignore all the blood everywhere, like it's a gross apartment. So I'm like Yeah, yeah. Like maybe Greenwich Village was quote unquote gross in like the sixties, but in the two thousands, like no, like that's an expensive neighborhood. You have nice yeah. apartments in that neighborhood. Yeah, Bill Willingham hadn't been to New York in 30 years, I'm guessing. That's that's probably <laughs> what it was. <laughs> oh man. I mean, we and we haven't really talked about the like the kind of the grossest part of this volume, which is Prince Charming. <laughs> oh yeah, Prince Charming oh, yeah. is the fucking worst. He's like, just terrible. The moment the moment he showed up on screen, I was like, "Oh, I think it's kind of funny that he can kind of just <clears throat> Excuse me. I think it's kind of funny that he could kind of just get his way. It's like, oh no, but he's garbage. Oh, but he's the <laughs> fucking worst. Like, it'd be one thing if he was just like, hey, don't make me pay my bill, and then he winks and then walks away. But instead, he's like, hey, I'm not gonna pay my bill. Actually, you're gonna pay my bill, and uh, let's go upstairs and have a little bit of wink, wink, nod, nod, if you know what I mean. <laughs> and she's like, I don't know, I gotta work. He's like, you better fucking come with me or else. And she's like, okay. It's like, what the fuck is happening? This is not okay. What the fuck? Well, you <laughs> was, get the so. So what I did like about that is even this first volume, like you already know that basically if it's if it's a princess that, you know, like married Prince Charming, like Snow White and Cinderella, like it's the same dude. He's just had multiple wives because he's so shitty. They divorce him once they realize he's awful. Mm-hmm. So I, I did enjoy that piece of like world building and connecting all these stories together because, you know, Prince Charming is like a like almost a placeholder title for just generic dude that will somehow make life better for this woman. And it's right. like, well, actually, he's garbage and we all know it. And 
these women had to like learn the hard way and but like i thought the interaction with him with uh the waitress was kind of maybe showing that he's got like some kind of like influence over women like he's able like he's prince charming so he's able to maybe that's like a superpower that he has he can like dial up the charm to kind of convince people to do what he wants which is so gross but you kind of get the sense that maybe that's what happened to like snow white and cinderella Mm -hmm. back when they married him before they were like oh no this is bullshit i took it as he's like incredibly charismatic and then he knows how to use it oh yeah Oh yeah, he absolutely fucking knows. That's why it, it, that's what makes it worse, almost right. Like he he understands how easy he can manipulate people. In particular, he can manipulate women, and he uses that to the full advantage to the point where he's like skeezing money off of people after he's slept with them at their apartment. Like it is scum. Like every single checkbox down the scumbag list, he is checking page after page every time we talk to him. Even into the end of this volume, where he's like, "Hey, don't worry, I'm gonna auction." off this thing that has no value to me right now in order for me to have money and he's he's just a garbage person and i i think that that's like a really funny way to look at that because it seems like you know in those stories here i think you you know you just pointed this out that oh this man's just gonna come help fix everything for them it's like no he temporarily made them happy and then was an awful human being afterwards which is why he divorced they were divorced or, or he was divorced from and then he went off to find someone else so um yeah it's it's I, I'm curious to know what happens with him later because I feel like he's got to get, like someone's got to get him back. <laughs> well, I'm I'm not saying anything because we're only yes, talking yeah, about yeah. volume one. But <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. This is almost enough reason for me to want to continue reading. I mean, I've I've tried to read fables. I think this particular volume like three times, and I never got through it. And I don't know why. This volume and I think, is like I said. This volume is rough. Like there, there's just so this this really is a, a series where. If you're even somewhat interested in it, if you stick with it, you will be so satisfied because some of the later storytelling is really complex and really like I remember distinctly crying during one Mm -hmm. of the volumes because it was so good. But again, revisiting this volume is pretty rough. Yeah, I mean, that being said, like I'm. I'm surprised how much I liked some of this volume um, because I feel like before maybe I wasn't into like the murder mystery and I didn't I felt like intimidated maybe by like not knowing all the fairy tale you know characters and stuff and like that being said I realized you know what I can actually just roll with a lot of these punches in order to get to the core of the good story here because I do think that there's a very good story here um, in this first volume like the murder mystery super works I found Big B Wolf to be incredibly fun to read as a character um, and maybe that's just my reading taste changing because I think the last time I tried to read this was maybe five or six years ago um, and I just couldn't get into it. I'm also a little intimidated by long series, but I'm not anymore because I'm reading fucking One Piece and that's got a thousand <laughs> chapters. So you know what? My limits and fears, no, no, or there is no limit now. I, I'm not scared of anything anymore. The limit anymore. does not exist. Yeah, the <laughs> limit does not exist. <laughs> Kate, what was your question? Um, I know that we could talk about this for forever as to like who is who in the story, but who is Rose Red? Okay, so like, she, is she new or no. or is she an actual? Okay, yeah. Um, Rose Red is kind of like the original. So in Fables, they kind of combine two versions of Rose Red. Like Rose Red is um, there's like a version where she's basically like Briar Rose from Sleeping Beauty. And there's another version where I forget the exact details, but like there is a version where she is um, in a story with a version of Snow White. Cause again, these are all based off of uh, folk tales that changed and evolved over centuries. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, like I remember when I first read fables, I was like, who is this? But it's just like a fairy tale character that used to be way more widely known, like pre Disney and then Disney kind of, commodified a lot of these fairy tales mm-hmm. and um collectively we've kind of forgotten about some of these characters like rose red who used to get a lot more um story time gotcha so do we think we're gonna keep reading some of this book i mean um actually you know what i, I before we get to that question let me ask another question was it just me or does it seem like the 
travesty or whatever they call the abomination or whatever it was. The adversary. Thank you. The big bad. Is the adversary just... Is the adversary just um, J.R.R. Tolkien's Lord of the Rings? Because in (laughs) my mind, as I was reading through this, all the villains, all the adversary troops look like orcs to me. (laughs) So is... Because like the way they describe it in the volume is that all these fairy tales lived in this huge world and none of them knew each other until the adversary showed up. And they all were like, eh, the adversary growing power, who even cares? And then all of a sudden the adversary is like, nah, I'm going to take this whole world and you got to get GTFO. And I, as I was looking through this, I was like, hold on. I think this is Lord of the Rings. I think Willingham had, hates Lord of the Rings. And he thinks that that's what destroyed all these fairy tales. Or maybe that's just a fun twist. Or just, this is my headcanon now. <laughs> but um, I, I thought that a lot of the enemies of the adversaries' troops look like orcs. And all of the, like a lot of villains from the Lord of the Rings books slash movies. Um, <laughs> did you guys get that at all? Or is it just me? I think that's just like generic goblin-esque bad dudes at this point. Sure, um, sure. I... I I gotta tell you, because it has been a few years since I read all this, I do forget who the adversary is. I just remember it's a slow build, and when you get to the reveal, you're like, holy shit. So Okay. Okay. Yeah. I mean that that's almost enough. Like I'm I'm hooked in on, on this enough that I think I might actually try to read through all the fables now. If I can do just like one volume a month, I think I could actually, you know, get through it all in two years <laughs> and have a good time. <laughs> Um, because I don't know, I was I was really compelled by this volume. I actually enjoyed it a lot more than I thought I would because I I went into it with excuse me I went into it with lowered expectations because I remember not liking it that much when I had first read it. But after this read, I was actually pretty into it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, same. Um, yeah, I guess I don't know if you guys had any other any final thoughts about fables or anything else you wanted to cover. Um, because yeah, I think there's. Like the murder mystery and all that stuff is really fun, um, but I, I I just want to know more. Like I, I just want to stop talking about this and go read f- subsequent volumes now <laughs> because I I feel like I really want to invest in this world. I think it's really cool. Yeah, it's it's definitely worth your time if you like like complex character development, plot layers. Like the story does kind of unfold um over time and you do see a lot of characters change and grow up or grow old and it's like it's not as we see in this first volume it's not perfect but there's a lot of interesting stuff here especially if you like fairy tales especially if you like stories where it's like lots of different fictional worlds being pulled together Mm -hmm. i can definitely see that and i guess this is if i'm not mistaken the fables just covers like european myths and stuff like that um and folklore and i i was just reading on wikipedia before we we jumped onto the show the jack of fable stories covers more of the like american myths like your paul bunyans and and stuff like that i don't did you get a chance to read that series at all kara jack of fables is the one series i didn't read that's an offshoot of this um and that's mostly because like jack is such a commanding character in the main story that I was just kind of like, well, you know, am I really interested in Jack enough to read like 30 offshoot issues about just <laughs> right, him? Right. And I was like, cause, right. I, cause I was very like, go big or go home about it. I was reading everything mm-hmm. constantly. So I was like, I don't really know if I want to add this to my plate. Also, like I was reading the fairest series, mm-hmm. which is like mm-hmm. focusing on the female characters. Um, there's like all these Cinderella trade trades, like just based off of her missions that she does. So like I read all of those um, stuff. So I think there's one that's like just about their version of the Snow Queen, who we know now as Elsa from Frozen, <laughs> except before she got her family friendly makeover. So like uh-huh. like all that stuff, I was just super into. Gotcha. Cool. Well, yeah, I'm I'm looking at the Wikipedia now, and there's a lot of volumes, and then there's a lot of other stories, there's and so then much. there's a lot of other stuff. There's so much. I can't believe that one person was writing all of this. That blows my mind. Yeah, and uh, and what really should blow your mind is that a lot of it actually ends up being prose. Like I think, okay, you, I don't know if the version of volume one that you read had um, like four or five prose pages at the end, but mine did. And there's mm-hmm. there's a lot of that um, as the series progresses. Like you'll get to the end of a volume, and all of a sudden there's like ten additional pages, and it's all just like blocks and blocks of text. 
Um, yeah. And, and like I said, there's like a couple novels that were written to tie into this. And it's just like Bill Willingham very definitely has a lot to say about all of this. <laughs> right, right. Well, yeah, I mean, just just the looking at the Wikipedia page is unbelievable how much extra stuff there was. Um, I forgot that they made The Wolf Among Us, that video game huh? back in 2011. Mm-hmm. Um, or 2013, I should say. But um, anyways, yeah, so Fables is good. I think uh, <laughs> good stuff. Um, I don't know, Kate, any final thoughts from you about this? Are you going to keep reading? I think I might. I, I do own the first three volumes that are in storage someplace. And okay. so I, I think I'll at least reread those. And, okay. and then maybe continue. Well, cool. Well, we'll we'll report back, I guess, as we all slowly move through this massive series <laughs> um, and stuff like that. But otherwise, um, I guess you can follow us all on the internet. You can follow Kara at Kara S. Sam. You can follow Kate at Kate L. Fear. And you can follow me at Mike Rappin. And you can follow the show at IRCB Podcast on Twitter and on Instagram, where I try to post things pretty often. Right now, if you... If you listen to this this week and then you go on Instagram and you like and comment on this our most recent post, you can get a free sticker. I'll mail it to your house. Um, we'll make that happen. So go do that today. <laughs> this show and our many subscriber-only episodes are powered by fans like you on Patreon. Join now at patreon.com slash ircbpodcast. If you haven't already, please rate and review our show five stars on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Join us on Discord at ircbpodcast.com slash Discord and make sure to tell a friend or two about the show. Infinity Shred is the best band in the universe. They do all the music for us. We love them to death. Xander is a high wizard of the grandest kind who lives upon a mountain and just in, comes down to help us edit the show once a week. He's fantastic. I want to say thank you to Kate and Kara for being on this show this week. And thank you to everyone out there who listens and all the folks who hang out with us on Discord and play D&D with us and stuff. It's fantastic. Until next time, comics are good and so are you. I was kind of waiting for you to say Xander is a fable. (laughs) (laughs) Shit, that's how I should have done it. That's okay. Yeah, I'm good to go for this for this second half if you guys are. I'm just I'm just killing time on the shop disney website because all i do is look at the shop disney website i see i see um, i mean i know where your priorities are Kara. i understand look look but that okay so we're coming up on may 4th and they have some oh, star fuck. wars stuff ready to go oh i'm sure but like it's dumb shit like it's genuinely dumb shit like it says coming may the 4th at 7 a.m pacific new exclusive products including this limited release star wars day key and I'm like, what the fuck? It's literally like, <laughs> it looks like a pen with like a Disney D on one side of it. And like on the other side of it is the little Star Wars logo. And I guess like the overall effect is to make this look like a key. But it just looks like something that's going to end up in a landfill, not disintegrating. So Yeah, what what is it? <laughs> what is its purpose? Oh my god, I, I don't, I'm going to send you guys a picture. This is so dumb. I just looked it up. I I don't know what it is. It's it's a key. It's a Star Wars key, but it's limited edition, so you better buy it now. I like I hate things so much. Capitalism is the worst <laughs> best. It's a day key. So is it Star Wars like Day Star Wars Day calendar? key. It is a key for Star Wars Day. I don't think it opens anything. I don't think it's for anything. I think it's just like they made a thing and they said, Look, it's a key. Look, it's collectible. Collectible key. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Seems like a weird way to spend to create something out of metal, but okay. I just I just only have questions. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, you know what? There's a Pinocchio trading card pin where Pinocchio is playing. The billiards one. The billiards one. Why? Why not? (laughs) Oh, okay. Yeah, I forgot about that. Why not? Well, because he plays billiards in the movie, and that's why he's a bad boy, because he's engaging in gambling. Oh, I see. Okay, I forgot that that even happened, because I think the last time oh. I saw Pinocchio, I was nine. Oh, I do. I, I recommend watching only if you want to be really concerned, because it's a trip. Like, that whole right. movie is a trip. Okay, actually, wait. I've pr- Actually, I think I've seen the live-action one, hmm. like, a bunch. The one where Jonathan Taylor Thomas does the voice of Pinocchio. Oh, yeah. I, I, 
that I I've know. seen that one a lot. Oh, oh, I have yeah. more. I have more information about the keys because it's a whole collection. Oh, oh thank. It's oh, a God. Disney keys collection. The Disney Store Keys Collection. They have been quite the charming collectibles so far. They're plastic, and each one has a unique character design. These limited edition keys are available to shoppers who go to the Disney Store or online. Each key is released to celebrate a special Disney anniversary or event. And there's like there's like twenty of them. There's like a Times Square New York opening key. There's a Mickey's 90th birthday key. There's There's this the adventures of pinocchio is what that movie's called by the way um why why though why keys though because they're collectible oh okay because yeah because they're collectible okay god this this movie just looks awful 1996 was a bad year (laughs) oh my god oh martin landau played geppetto though so what are you looking at I'm just posting things in the IRCB Telegram. Okay. Um, yeah. Just the look at that. God, (laughs) what a horror show. (laughs) Like, it's clearly a felt puppet, but with no felt on it. (laughs) Or it's the, it's the same, it's the same kind of puppets as the Lazy Town show. I don't, I really don't think I want to look, Mike. Like, you've sent me this link and I don't want to look at it. Yeah, don't. S- it's it's kind of awful. I swear I've seen this movie, but these images don't look familiar. Well, it, this sounds like what we're going to do at the next IRCB movie get together is we're going to watch this horror show. <laughs> I'm pretty sure at some point, like Pinocchio smoking cigars, like in the animated one. Yeah. But it's it's even more terrifying because it's a puppet smoking cigars. Oh no! No, thank you. Look at those keys, Kara. <laughs> I'm not making it up. I'm just saying the next collection. They've been doing this for years, apparently. Apparently, I have I I have never heard of this, and I'm on the I know I'm on this website far too much. I mean, maybe because you had to like do it in person. That was why. Probably. I don't know. I'm ready to talk about fairy tales. <laughs> yeah, me too. Let's talk about fables. Um, 